kind of this audience participation response thing that we do here at Greenbelt. And um, I, yeah, really excited to kick this new year off. And I don't know if your household is like this, but uh, yesterday I just had an amazing day of cleaning. Now, some of you might be going, get behind me, Satan, when you hear that. But is, is your house a little bit like this, like with the holidays? You know, like it's just a little chaotic, right, over the holidays. And you got Christmas trees and decorations and all this stuff. You got to put this stuff away. Like we got, we have a cat now, so our tree only has decorations from this high up. All the other decorations, I don't know where they are. They're just somewhere in the house. We'll be finding them over the next six months. Um, but I figured there's not enough chaos in the holidays, so I'm going to add more chaos to it. I decided to rip out a bunch of walls and insulate my basement and do some drywalling and mudding and sanding. And if you are familiar with any of that work, you just know huh, how messy all of that can get. So yesterday was the day. Oh, to just clean, just to bring a little order back into the house. We started on the top floor and we just slowly worked our way down because that's the way dirt works, right? You just start at the top and then you work your way back down. And one of the things I did yesterday was I just organized kind of my little nook, my little corner where I geek out and I got it so organized and I was so happy with it and so thrilled. And one of the things that I did is like, you know, I, I, I joke about glasses because I started wearing glasses in 2019 and, um, and, and I'm not used to it yet. And so I'm always forgetting them. So part of my organizing yesterday was my glasses have a new spot where I will never forget where they are. And they are enjoying a wonderful Sunday morning in that spot um, <laughs> where I completely forgot them today. And I'm looking at my Bible and I'm like, oh, boy, it's like it just seems like since 2019, um, the text seems to get blurrier and blurrier and blurrier. And we can joke about my eyesight and I'm okay with it, you know, now, as it's been a few years of coping with this. But so much in our lives depend not just on the physical vision that we have, but on the spiritual vision that God gives us. Whether that's in your individual life, whether that's in your family at home, or whether that is a part of a local church. See, the Bible has a lot to say about vision. In 2018, we as a church, we went through quite a significant process of discerning God's vision for our church. Of who is God calling us to be? What is God asking of us? Because it's not, you know, we don't want to be the kind of church that just wants to do what we want to do. Like, we don't kind of do things here by popular opinion. Like, we don't poll everybody and say, well, what, do you, what would you like? What would this section of the room like us to focus on as a church? What would you like us to focus on? What would you like to focus on? And what would you like to focus on? We, we're not overly concerned with what people want. We want to be ultimately concerned with what is God asking us? If God has placed Greenbelt Baptist Church in this part of the city for the last 50 years, 
And if Jesus doesn't return any time soon, what does he want us to do in this part of our city? What is God's purpose for us? And so that's why we've been kind of real on this journey since 2018 of being discerning, of fasting, of praying, of seeking God to give us vision for how he wants us to live as a church. See, and the reason why this is so crucial, and I think in so many ways we've experienced this since March of 2020, is there are a lot of things that could just make the vision of God blurry. (laughs) There's a lot of things going on in the world that can distract us. (laughs) that can not only distract us, but can also discourage us. Like one of my favorite verses comes out of Proverbs 29. And if you are familiar with the King James version of this, it says, where there is no vision, people perish. Okay, that's how the King James puts it. But when the word for vision that's used there, it's the Hebrew word chazon, one of my favorite Hebrew words. I don't quote a lot of Hebrew, but that word, it just rolls off the tongue. It's like you feel like you're just kind of spitting something out of your mouth. You got like a furball or something when you say it. Okay? But it's this prophetic vision of God. And if you do not have a prophetic vision of God, God's word says you perish. Now, this doesn't mean you die. Doesn't mean that you're gonna like take a spear to the chest. It doesn't mean that you're gonna be mugged in the streets. Doesn't mean that. And this is why I love how Eugene Peterson put it in the message paraphrase of the Bible. He writes Proverbs 29 uh, this way. He says, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are more blessed. Think about that for a moment. When you cannot see what God is doing in your own personal life, you are just going to stumble through your days. You're going to get up in the morning. You might exercise a little bit. You might make yourself a cup of coffee. You might kind of spend 45 minutes just aimlessly scrolling through social media. You'll head off to work. You'll go to school. You'll just do your job. You'll clock in. You'll clock out. You'll go home. You'll sit in front of Netflix and just watch one episode of This Is Us. Just one. No, it's never one. It's always nine. Okay? And then you just wasted six hours of your evening because you're exhausted from the day. And you're just stumbling through life. All of us experience that from time to time. In our families, If you don't have a God-given vision for your family, you kind of just hope as parents that your kids turn out. I have no plan for them to turn out godly or holy or walking with the Lord. I just kind of hope it happens. (laughs) right? And the same thing is true for the church. When we cannot see what God is doing, the church can stumble all over herself, being very busy, having lots of programs, making Christians happy, being concerned with the numbers on Sunday, making sure there's enough money coming in in the offering, all of these things. But are we actually attending to what God reveals? 
Because, again, what Proverbs 29 says, when you attend to what God reveals you, what is the outcome? Blessing. How many of you would love to be more blessed in your life? Right? If you're not raising your hand, hopefully you're nodding. Okay? I would so love to be more blessed. But if I want to be blessed, if I want my family to be blessed, if I want my children to be blessed, if I want our church family to be blessed, I need to have eyes that are open to what God is revealing. And so we started that in 2018 of seeking God. What are you revealing for, to us as a church family? And so we put a number of things in place. We put a number of strategies and initiatives in place. And on the plan, on the spreadsheet that we made in 2018, it didn't have a pandemic on the spreadsheet. <laughs> okay, and, and I've yet to meet the Christian leader that a worldwide pandemic was on their five-year strategic plan. Anyone? Did anyone have that at your work? That that, that was there, right? Like none of us saw this coming. But none of it was a surprise to God. <laughs> none of it. And so this year, as we're stepping into 2023, and as I've been sharing for the last few weeks, is I really feel that God is calling us to regroup, to refocus, and to relaunch. Now, we learned a lot over the last two plus, almost three years. We've seen God do a lot of amazing things over the last three years. But I want us to make sure that your faith, the faith of your family, and the faith of our church is not getting blurry. Because the blurrier our vision gets to what God is revealing, then we seem to have to step back further and further away so we can try to see it. And I don't want any of us to be stepping further and further away from what God is revealing. Yeah, I can kind of read it from here now, <laughs> right? And so what I want us to do is we're going to look at a very familiar passage from uh, Luke chapter 19. And so if you have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to, to follow along in your Bible. And we're going to go through quite a lot of verses today. We're going to go through the, the first half of Luke chapter 19. So we're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to go all the way to verse 27, I think that says, <laughs> Okay, um, because so often, because if your Bible is like mine, you've got these bold headings, right? Does your Bible have that, right? And so when you study the Bible, we tend to focus on just one section. But when you actually study the Bible, you've got to study the Bible in its entirety. Just because there's a bold heading there talking about what that section is about, uh, the, Luke didn't put that heading there when he wrote this. Scholars put that in there to make it easy, easier for us to study and easier for us to find passages in the Bible. But when we do that, we kind of forget that these things are all connected. <laughs> so we're going to look at the mission of Jesus, and then we're going to look at a parable of Jesus, because we tend to study them separately. You need to study them together because one directly relates into the other. And then I want us to talk a little bit as we regroup, as we refocus, as we relaunch, what does that look like for your life? 
What does that look like for the life of our church? So Luke chapter 19. Again, if you've grown up in Sunday school, you know this story because we're going to read about Zacchaeus, the wee little man. How many of you remember that Sunday school song? Right? Some hands go up. Sing it. Oh, God bless you. That's amazing. See, I didn't grow up in church. Like, I was somewhere else while you were singing that song on Sunday, on Sunday school. I was doing bad things. Okay? But God bless you that you remember that. So we're going to talk about this guy, Zacchaeus. So let me read here from Luke chapter 19. And I'm going to read verses 1 to 10. I encourage you to follow along. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was a wee little man, no, it just says short here, he, he couldn't see over the crowd, right? And he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him see, uh, since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this, and they began to mutter. He had gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up, and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Again, very, very familiar story here. And this, for me, is one of my favorite stories. For the church to be reminded of the mission of Jesus. Like, there's lots of things that the church can focus on. There's lots of things that we as a church can have our vision set to. But we want to be a church that is focused on the things of God. That are focused on what God deems as the most important thing. Not what we think is the most important thing. What does God say is the most important thing? And so this passage here, this story of Zacchaeus, this chief tax collector, is written by a man named Luke. Now, again, it's good to always study the Bible in its context and knowing how it was put together and how it was written. Luke was a physician. He's a doctor. He's very well educated. He's very smart. And he goes through like a researcher collecting all the stories, collecting all the evidence. And he actually writes two books in your New Testament. He writes the Gospel of Luke, and he writes the book of Acts. And it's so important when we look at Luke, any passage in Luke, we have to look at it through the lens, the vision, the glasses, <laughs> that Luke wrote it. Why, would, why did Luke write this down? We can't just assume, well, he just because he wants to educate the church or he, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Those things are all true. But Luke actually tells us why he wrote this. In Luke chapter 1, verse 4, Luke wrote this down for this reason. So that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. 
That's his goal. So any Christian, any Jewish person, anyone who's far from God, anyone who doesn't believe in God, who's heard about Jesus, who's heard about this teaching of Jesus, God's purpose here is so that you will know with certainty the things that you have been taught. Because this is coming from someone who's done the research, who's done his homework, who's put it all together for us, right? And so when Luke writes this, he's writing to a Jewish context. He's writing to people who grew up, grew up Jewish. Some people are, are starting to put their faith in Jesus as the, the promised Messiah. And they're seeing that coming, that, that revelation you know, being true. They're seeing the Holy Spirit coming on the church, empowering them for the mission of Jesus. And, and you see in this story a group of people that in uh, chapter 19, verse 7, are simply called the people. There's a group of the people. And as you study Luke's gospel, the people are religious leaders and the crowd. You see, everywhere that Jesus went, there were actually three types of the people. There were the religious leaders, there were the crowds, and then there were his followers, Whenever Jesus or whenever one of the Gospels is talking about the crowds, is talking about the people, we always got to have this in context of who these people are. Some people are devoted followers of Jesus. They are listening to his teaching and they are being transformed by his teaching. There are skeptics in there that are curious about Jesus and they're kind of blown away and they're kind of hoping he's going to do something really cool today. Like maybe Jesus will raise someone else from the dead. Maybe Jesus will make more bread. That would be great because I'm kind of hungry, right? Maybe Jesus will heal somebody. Like they're kind of curious. But then you've got the enemies of Jesus are in the crowd here too. Who don't like what he's saying. Who don't like what he's doing. That are actually opposed. And they want to stop what he's doing. That's who the people are. And the people see what Jesus has done here by going to this wee little man. Because this wee little man, Zacchaeus, is the chief tax collector. Now, again, as we study the Gospels, we learn, and if you study that, that time of history, what the tax collectors were is they were traitors against their own people. When Rome came, Rome came with their armies and they took over the land of Israel. Now, the way Rome would take over, they would raise up people from the countries that they conquered so that their own people would look like they're still in charge. It was a way for Rome to keep the peace. Instead of like all these Romans showing up and they're bossing everybody around, they would say, okay, well, here are these Jewish people. We're going to give them these positions of authority. And so what we learn about the tax collectors, according to the writings in the gospel, is when religious Jewish people would look at them, they weren't just sinners. They were the worst of sinners. There's nobody worse to a Jewish religious leader than a tax collector because they have betrayed their identity as a nation. 
They have sold out to their spiritual and physical enemy. They are directly benefiting from this financially at the expense of their own people. And Jesus goes to that person's home. Jesus goes to the home where religious people will never go. This is why this passage for me is so crucial as a church. Can you think of a moment of a group of people where you will never go to their home? I'm not asking you to shout that out out loud. (laughs) But I know in church history, we have treated some people like I won't go there. Because I have to stay pure. I have to guard the integrity of the gospel. I have to fight for truth. And I cannot go into that person's home because I might be validating their lifestyle. Or I will, that will kind of show people that I am okay with the decisions that they're making. Now I get it. All of us have got to wrestle with what God is calling us to do. But Jesus goes to the places where religious people won't go. And Jesus tells us why he came. I, I talk to a lot of my non-Christian friends and my non-Christian family, and, and, and we talk about things like, why do I believe Christianity to be different than any other faith in the world? I don't believe Jesus is just one of many options. I don't believe, well, if I believe in Jesus, but you believe in Buddha, we're on the same path, just a different path with the same destination. I don't believe that. I believe they are radically and fundamentally different in every single way. Because where every single religion in the world says, if you just better yourself, you will become like God. That's a Pastor Kevin summary of every faith. I realize that's kind of really broad. Okay. (laughs) But that's ultimately what they all boil down to. Follow the rules. God will be pleased. You will be blessed. Follow the rules. You'll have inner contentment, inner peace. You will be blessed. The Christianity is radically different because Jesus says why he came in this passage. And he said, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. And every one of us at some point were the lost. No exception. No, I mean, if you, maybe you put your faith in Jesus at a young age and you don't remember ever not having Jesus in your life. And if that's you, man, praise God for that in that household that you were raised in. That's awesome. Maybe some of you, you know how lost you were. <laughs> and you came to Jesus very later on in life. That's my story. I was lost. <laughs> my vision was very blurry. And I was focusing on anything but the will of God. But Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And then Jesus drives home his purpose for coming. And this is why this parable that happens starting in verse 11 
has to be studied and looked at and read in the context of the first half of Luke 19. Because we could just study this parable of the ten minas, or the ten talents, depending on your Bible, and we could actually be off on what Jesus is driving here. So let me read this parable. We'll see how this connects with what we just taught. And then I'm going to try to wrap this up in such a way that goes, oh my goodness, where has my vision been? And how can I have clarity of vision for my life, for my family, and for our church? So let's read this parable here that Jesus says. So it says this. It says, while they were listening to this. Okay, let me just break this down. While... So this means it's happening at the same, so this is, they're connected. And so the they, who's the they? Well, it's the people. And who are the people? It's the people who are, again, I love this word, mutter. The people are muttering, right? The people are muttering, they're complaining. They began to mutter. They're complaining about Jesus. What are they complaining about? That Jesus went to the home of the worst of the worst of the worst of sinners. Religious people hate that, (laughs) While they were listening to this, what were they listening to? His words, today salvation has come to this house because this man, this worst of sinners, he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save what was lost. This parable is directly connected to Jesus's words. So it says, while they're listening to this, he went on and told them a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. And he said, a man of noble birth came to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. So this is money. And then put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him. The people who mutter. (laughs) Right? The people hated him. And they sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. The religious people don't want Jesus' teaching. They don't want Jesus' ways. They don't want Jesus to be king. They don't like this. It's like, well, here's the thing. And I love this verse, verse 15. He was made king anyways. <laughs> we might not like what Jesus is asking of us. There are days like, really, Jesus? I got to talk to this person. I have to bless. I have to be generous. I have to be loving. Jesus, I'd really love. Just, could I have like just six months of pure selfishness? That would just feel awesome, Jesus. Right? He's king anyways. Right? And then it continues. And so these, this delegate, they went home. They sent for the servants to whom they had given the money in order to find out how they had, uh, how they had gained with it. Because right? the king asked them to use this money. So the first one came and said, Sir, your minas had to earn ten more. He said, Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. And the second came and said, sir, your mina has earned five more. And his master answered, you take charge of five cities. And then another servant came and said, sir, here is your mina. I kept it and laid it away in a piece of, in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take what you did not put in and you reap what you did not sow. And his master replied, well, I will judge you by your own words. 
you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I'm a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sell? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit where, so that when I came back, it could have collected it with interest? And then he said to those standing by, take this his mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And sir, they said, he already has ten. And he replied, I tell you that everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here. And here gets happy and kill them in front of me. <laughs> this is a rough parable. <laughs> like we go from Zacchaeus was a wee little man who a wee little man was he to kill them all. It's like that's a big jump. <laughs> what, what's going on here? Right? Jesus is using this parable to the mutterers, to the people who are complaining about sinners, to those who are forgetting that you know this mina that you have. Like, like a mina, what it is, it's, this, it's, it's basically three months of wages for an average worker. I didn't check it. I don't know what the average Canadian salary is right now. Okay, but just take your income that you make in three months. I'm going to assume that's a lot of money, right? And these servants are given that amount of money. But here's the thing that we know as, as followers of God is God was the one who provided that. Right? So when this one person who is afraid of doing anything with their mina, because they're afraid that this master is harsh and is going to judge them you know, harshly if they mess up, they forgot that the king was the one who gave it to them in the first place. It was never theirs. I think one of the challenges that we have as the Western church is we think life revolves all around me. <laughs> that I'm the center of the universe, that my comfort, my ease, what I want, what I deserve, it's all about me. And I do think that is where the church got vision a little blurry over the last three years. Did we spend more time fighting for my rights, what I want? Or do we actually spend that energy seeking and saving the lost? Yeah, we saw a lot of very angry people over the last three years. Did that draw someone closer to Jesus or push them away from Jesus? But they fought for truth. This is where vision can get blurry. When we can't see what God is doing. That maybe God wants to use my discomfort my sacrifice, my pain, my suffering to actually be a blessing to somebody else. Right? And this is what this parable reminds us of. It reminds us that everything that we have is already God's. It's already God's. 
And when we use the things that God has given us, whether it's our finances, whether it's our time, whether it's our talents and our abilities, when we focus on the things of God, when we see where God is working and we put those things first, then you hear the words, good job, faithful servant. Because that's what's happening here. Like, when does the master say this? He says this when you use the mina for God's purpose. See, I think sometimes we, as Christians, we, we study this passage on its own, and all of us want on Judgment Day when we stand before the white throne of God, we want to hear, good job, faithful servant. How many of you would love to hear Jesus say those words to you? Good job, faithful servant. But when you study Luke 11 to 27, in the context of all of Luke 19, hearing the words well done from God is directly related to seeking and saving the lost. If the primary purpose of our lives is not seeking and saving the lost, we may not hear, good job, faithful servant. And, and, and ever since I've studied this and, and I've gone to other Bible scholars and other books, and I'm like, guys, am I wrong here? Because I want to be. <laughs> I want to hear good job, faithful servant, just because I was a good husband. I want to hear good job, faithful servant, because I think I was a decent father. I've been really struggling with guilt on fathering since Sam moved to Hawaii. And I'm like, I totally failed her. And I'm like, oh, I should have done more. The little enemy voice kicks in there. We never think we're good enough. Right? If I'm a better father, if I'm a better husband, then I'm going to hear good job, faithful servant. If I'm just a good employee, if I get good grades at school, that will give me that good job, faithful servant. We build so much of our Western Christianity around how we perform to hear good job. (laughs) But well done from God, according to Luke is directly connected to the mission of Jesus of seeking and saving the lost. And so I taught you this in 2019. How many of you are like, wow, this is like good stuff. This is new. I never heard this before. Okay, because you forget what I tell you, and that's that's okay. That's how sermons work. Okay, sometimes I don't even know what I preached last week. It's just how it works. Okay. But this is the vision, and this is why we had done so many things of restructuring ministry, of restructuring our staff, of refocusing on how we do church, because I want desperately, as your friend, as as someone who loves you, as your pastor, I want you to hear, well done. That's my biggest desire for your life. It really is. If you have a good marriage, cool. If you got good relationship with your kids, great. If you're handling your money in a biblical way, if you're handling your sexuality in a biblical way, great. But my goal is to run my race and to do what I can do with the abilities that God has given me so that you will hear, well done. So how do we do that? So this is some of the things that we restructured. I'm going to give you three things that we've been talking about. Again, things got a little blurry over the last three years. But as we regroup, as we refocus, and as we relaunch, 
We're going to be putting a lot more energy and time and effort into these three things. So I encourage you to write these things down. Talk about them in your life group as they launch again this week. Right? And so the first is this. If you want to be on this mission of seeking and saving the lost, right, being on mission must come from connecting with God and others in a meaningful way. If you want to be on mission of being used by Jesus in seeking and saving the lost, and this doesn't mean that everyone has to be an evangelist. This doesn't mean everyone has to get a soapbox and stand downtown in the marketplace and preach the gospel. That's not what this means. But it means all of us are a part of the mission in some kind of capacity of seeing the work of Jesus, of seeking and saving the loss. But that has to come from connecting with God and connecting with other people in a meaningful way. This is why when we restructured our staffing model, we restructured our staffing model around four quadrants. Connect, apprentice, send, and invite. And connecting with God is crucial. And we do that here by what we're doing right now, through worship. See, worship is the time when you and I set aside 90 minutes a a week to just say, thank you, Lord. I'm going to praise you. Even though my life might not be perfect, even though I might have some struggles, and I might have some stuff that I'm still kind of figuring out and walking with, God, you have so blessed me with many, 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 many minas. <laughs> and I'm just going to praise you for that. And, and there's something special when the people of God gather together. Now, I'm very grateful for Church Online, and I encourage people to, if you can't come in person, to use Church Online. But where two or more are gathered in the name of Jesus, there, there's a move of God there that's very different than worshiping by yourself. Like, I love worship. Like, worship is one of my love languages. I don't know if that's an official love language, but it's how I feel the closest to God. And yesterday, while I'm cleaning my house from top to bottom, I've got a Google Home on every level of my house. And I'm okay with Big Brother knowing everything about my life. I I don't have a problem with that. Right? And so, and I just have worship music just following me down. (laughs) Starting upstairs, and then the next level, and then the basement. I just continue the playlist. And some days it's got a little bit more... A little bit more skillet. Another day it's got a little bit more Michael W. Smith. Another day it's got like some Christian, I sound like this Christian rock guy. I don't even know his name, but it's loud and obnoxious and I love it. Okay. And, and then we found this other guy when Danielle and I, when we were kind of developing a spiritual discipline of Sabbath keeping, and we actually found this Messianic Jewish guy who's written all these kind of Jewish hymns. I don't know his name either, but oh my, they're so good. Right? Now, those are great times of connecting with God. But being here with you is radically different. (laughs) And that's what Paul teaches. The Apostle Paul teaches this, that when we gather in the name of Jesus to simply connect with God, that God shows up. And he shows up in a way that people who come, who we've invited, (laughs) notice something different. (laughs) 
And they respond, wow, God's truly among you. And so as we regroup, as we refocus, as we relaunch, connecting with God is crucial. How are you going to do that this year? I encourage you, make Sunday in person a regular part of your rhythm of your week. If you can't come in person, we have church online. It's a great tool. Use it. But don't just sit by yourself. Connect with God that way. Don't be on church online at home and you got your phone. And you're scrolling through Facebook while you're doing church online as well. Put away the distractions. Connect with God. We also believe that this connecting with God, it's not just about connecting with God. It's about connecting with other people. And not just in a way that's superficial. Because the culture that we live in today, we can have lots of friends. (laughs) And I put an air quote. (laughs) You know, I have lots of friends that that are into the same hobbies that I'm into. I could easily go on Facebook and I've got hundreds and hundreds of friends who nerd out talking about board games and Star Wars and all the different nerd things that I'm into. Okay? But none of them are going to show up at my house and pray with me. None of them are going to show up or check up on me. And wow, your daughter just moved. You're not going to see your daughter for six months? How you doing? Like, we need to figure out how to connect with one another in a meaningful way. And this is where an area that I've become incredibly passionate about since 2018. I remember years ago when we're Greenbelt, we have this very amazing reputation, and I praise God for it. But we have a, an amazing reputation of being a very friendly church. And I praise God for that. But we also have a reputation that we're a very easy church to leave. It is very easy for people at Greenbelt to just walk away. And we assume someone else is following up with them. Well, we assume Kevin has checked up on them. There's 608 people in our database. I don't know what's going on here anymore. I just don't. And people easily leave and no one follows up with them. We need to regroup. We need to refocus. And we need to kill that. I firmly believe, I said this in 2019, the green belt should be the hardest place to leave because someone noticed. And that's only done if you have a meaningful connection with people. That's why we encourage life groups that we want everyone in a life group. It's why we restructured kids ministry around a life group model with leaders. It's why we restructured fusion. Why Jen and her team did an amazing job with that of getting these kids in meaningful relationships. My son is 21 and is still meeting with his old fusion leader as a mentor. (laughs) These relationships are crucial. We connect with God. We connect with each other. And I know there's a little part of us in our flesh and says, no, thank you. I don't want anyone contacting me and calling me and checking my stuff. Then you might be off focus. (laughs) Step into it this year. Life groups are starting up again this this week and next week. Join one. You want to join a real easy one? Come to mine on Monday night. We're going to work out. I'm going to do a workout class. 
because we've been talking about, you know, being fit. And then we're going to teach the Bible. I'm going to make you sweat, swear, and then read the scriptures together. Okay, if that doesn't work for you, join a different one. Okay, like just but find something that works for you. Okay, cat hair. Don't know where that came from. Anyways, being on mission comes from connecting with God and others in a meaningful way. We connect. The second thing that we want to regroup, refocus, and relaunch on is that we train for godliness for the blessing of others. We apprentice. We become more and more like Jesus, where we are pursuing holiness, where we are learning the word of God, that we're learning what our spiritual gifts are, that we're setting aside our wants, our desires, our plans for God's plans, because he has plans. Now, sometimes it's easy to discern what God's plan is for our life, and other times it's not, and that's normal, Right? Just because one person is clear and the other person's still struggling doesn't mean one is holier or one's better or anything like that. But it's just part of the journey that we are becoming more and more and more like Jesus. Maybe part of our apprenticeship is starting to go to the places that religious people don't go to. I mean, I think it was when, when did we start this, Danielle, 2017, 2018, where we have a number of volunteers, a number of ladies who go and minister to women who work in the sex industry. And they just bring Jesus there. They go to a place where religious people don't go and bring hope and peace and gifts to women that a whole world just sees them as what they provide sexually. Right? We go to where religious people don't go to seek and save the lost. But you don't just do that. You grow into that. You don't just show up somewhere and go, hey, I'm here to tell you all about Jesus. Sometimes we do more damage than good because we haven't apprenticed in it we didn't learn how to share the gospel we didn't most of us kind of you know if we 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 can't even find a verse to use to point someone to jesus because we're we know a lot of bible but we can't always find it we want to apprentice in this we want to regroup we want to refocus we want to relaunch in growing in our faith so that we can bless other people because when they're blessed as luke 19 has been showing us we're blessed. When there's vision, people are, you're not stumbling all over yourself. When you focus on the things of God, you will receive more blessing. So we connect with God, we apprentice, and then finally, you know, we all play a part in Jesus' mission to seek and save the lost. These kind of two final components of our staffing structure is to send, is to, sorry, to invite and to send. No, I got that backwards. Send and invite. We apprentice, we grow, and then we're sent. Whether that's just into the workplace, whether that's to school, whether that's to our community, our hockey team, our sports team, whatever that is, you are sent people. So as you grow and as you connect with God and connect with others, as you apprentice, you become more like Christ, you are sent out on the mission of God into the areas that God has called you to. God has sent you to places that I'm never going to go to. 
And that's how I love how the church works. <laughs> that you and I are all sent to different places, bringing the light of God to all these different places. And then we invite them. When we launched a Church Online, we launched it, well, we actually made the decision as a church family at our AGM in February 2020. And this is where I praise God for this, that you voted on spending $20,000 on all of these toys that we have now. And we did it so that we could invite people to church. Right? Church Online in February of 2020 was supposed to be the new foyer. Because we do live in a culture today where people are just not comfortable walking into church. And I can prove this to you. How many of you have an intense desire to go visit a mosque on Friday for prayer? None of you. Okay. So my non-Christian friends have absolutely no desire to come in to see what we are doing on Sunday. None. 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 And so inviting a culture into this is a challenge. And so church online becomes this place. Well, why don't you just check this out? And we have social media, and you can share it, and you can link it, and you can tag it, and, did, 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 and all these things. You can be a part of inviting. Inviting people into online ministry is so easy. Because if someone gets offended and makes a comment, you just delete it. Like, it's so simple. Like, it's, online ministry is the easiest thing for Christians to do. It's like, then we want to train you in this more. You can actually be a part of this work. Now, we praise God that Church Online, we could use it over the last couple of years because of the pandemic. We praise God for that. And we've seen over 150 people around the world accept Christ. That's amazing. But its purpose is to invite, not to replace connecting. <laughs> okay? And so this is the kind of thing that we want to be doing this, over the, this year to come. Is we're going to help you connect with God. We're going to help apprentice you to become more like Jesus. We want to see how you are sent by God and how you can be used by God to invite others because that is the purpose that Jesus came for. He came to seek and save the lost. And I want you to hear, well done, faithful servant. And we will hear as a church, well done, when we put on our spiritual glasses and we focus on what God is revealing to us. And so maybe you're here today and this idea of this God who came to seek and save the lost is new. Maybe you're joining online and this is new, right? This is, I believe, why we gather, why we invite people so they can hear about this God who loves them that they can hear that they don't have to follow all of these rules and religions and traditions and guidelines to maybe one day please God. That Jesus came for you. Jesus came to find you. And the Bible teaches us that by simply saying, Father, forgive me, a sinner. And we're going to study that as we kick off our Roman series next week. If you don't know how to lead someone to Jesus through your Bible, you're going to learn when we go through Romans. When you just believe that you were lost, that your sin kept you far from God, and that Jesus came to find you. When you believe that, when you confess that, 
you're found. And we've seen a lot of people do that over the pandemic. But I want to see God do it more and more and more. I talked to a few of you. A few of you were really happy that we went back to one service. This is temporary. Get this out of your head. Planning for four. Sorry, Paul. (laughs) I didn't tell anybody this. But this is what I'm praying for. This room is packed with four. Because if you think the church is big enough, your love for God is too small. And your love for the lost is too small. I want to hear well done. And I want you to hear well done. I want you to regroup. I want you to refocus. And then let's relaunch together what God wants to do through us as a church family this year. Let's pray. Father, I am grateful for your vision. (laughs) Where through the teaching of your word, you reveal to your children your plans for our lives, our plan for our church, and your plan for humanity. And Father God, we know... (laughs) As we study and we will continue to study, we deep down know that the church doesn't exist for us. That we are called to be the church and that we exist to bless the world. But Father, forgive me when I thought church was about me. Forgive me when I felt church should meet my need. And Lord, for all of us, I pray, Father, that you would give us eyes to see, help us to see your vision that you are revealing each and every day. Help us to see the work that you are doing and help us to connect with you. Help us to grow in our faith. Send us out into the world. Give us boldness and and the skills to invite others to be a part of this so that we can see more and more people blessed by the love of God. And as you reveal that vision to us, that kazon to us, God, may we experience more and more of your blessing in our lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.